I absolutely love the body of Christ. And Carol and I, just in the role I'm in, one of the privileges we have is we get to visit other churches periodically. And it just grows our vision of what's happening around the world as Christians gather. And so it's just, it is sweet to be with you today. I would love to talk briefly about Youth for Christ and then talk mainly about Jesus Christ and our followership of Him. So as it relates to Youth for Christ, um, a girl named Kylie called herself an atheist and she wanted nothing to do with Christ. And she wandered into one of our campus life ministries, like we have Metamora Campus Life. This happened to have been Limestone Campus Life. And she wandered in, and they played some fun games, and she felt safe there, and she kept coming back and hearing the truth of the gospel, and she gave her life to Christ. And this summer, Kylie went to camp with us as a leader, working with middle school kids, telling these girls about Christ. And Kylie got to lead five of the six girls in her cabin to Christ this summer. So I just celebrate atheists three or four years ago, now in Christ, now leading others to Christ. And that's really the purpose of Youth for Christ, is we go toward lost teens who probably aren't storming the doors of churches, and we try to find them where they are, and give them the truth of Christ and the love of Christ. And last year we had 96 kids pray with us and give their lives to Christ here locally. And I just celebrate that. I'm in awe of that. And so I would just ask you to uh, do th- consider doing three things. Um, one is to pray for the ministry of Youth for Christ and lost teens locally. A second would be to fund. If that's in your wheelhouse to do, we'd love to have you as a donor. The third thing is consider maybe you have a role that you should be getting involved face-to-face with young people. Love to talk to you about that or go to our website or um, we'd just love to have more people in the body move toward lost teens. So uh, recently we've, uh, we have ministries like Metamore Campus Life I mentioned. We just added something called Normal West Campus Life down in uh, Bloomington Normal and we just added something called Bloomington City Life working with urban kids in the Bloomington area. And then just now, starting next Tuesday, we're adding Chillicothe Middle School Ministry. So God is growing our, our touch and our footprint, and it's just a privilege to do what we do. So that's my day job, Director of Youth for Christ, as of this morning. <laughs> I pray it's true this afternoon. <laughs> um, so this morning, I know some of you, very familiar faces. I don't know all of you. And some of you don't know me, so I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm a citizen of the USA merely because I was born here. I'm an Illinoisan because I live in this state. Fairly obvious, right? I'm a son because my parents had a male child. I'm a nephew because my parents have siblings. I'm a grandson because my parents had parents. I'm a husband because Carol married me. I'm a panther because I live in Washington. Okay, redbirds, 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 panthers. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. Cubs and cards we won't do. Um, Well, maybe we should. 
<laughs> Cardinals, Cardinals, that's my hands down. Okay, Cubs. Okay, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We can close in prayer. <laughs> a pan bird? That's good. That's a, that's a uh, th- I don't know if that's an unequally oaked marriage or what that is. Yeah. I married a Cardinal fan, spent 25 years converting her. The tornado took our house. Life was rocked. She said, I need some change in my life. She went back to the Cardinals, and then the Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> Hallelujah. (laughs) So I'm a father because Carol and I have four kids. I'm actually a grandfather because we've got two grandkids. I'm a father-in-law because two of my kids got married. Um, I'm an executive director at YFC because our board hasn't seen fit to let me go yet. Um, I'm a neighbor because people live nearby. And on and on. And you guys could tell me some of the things that, mar- that are you, words that describe you, grandmother, grandchild, sister, friend. There are so many ro- words that describe our, our roles in life. But um, I have a favorite, most defining role that marks me, my favorite identity. And uh, it's an identity that surpasses all those others, but it puts all those others in perspective. It helps them where they are. And, and my main identity is that I am a child of God because God saw fit to send Jesus Christ to address that enormous gap between God and myself. I'm going to say that again. I'm a child of God because God saw fit to send Jesus Christ to address that enormous gap between God and myself. And I believe most of us in the room, that's true of all. It might be true of all of us this morning. I pray it is. But I want to talk about that identity just a little bit this morning because I think we forget and we get bumped around and we, we lose our sense of identity. I know I do. So if you're a note taker, I have four points for you this morning. I can give them to you now and then you can rest. You just put your head down and you'll have all your notes complete for the service. But the first, uh, the first note in the, in the four, four notes I'm going to give you will say, I was, dot, dot, dot. I was, dot, dot, dot. And your second note, if you're a note taker, will say, I became, dot, dot, dot. So we have, I was, I became. Your third note is, but God, dot, dot, dot. We'll fill in the dots as the time goes on. And then the fourth note is, now I can, dot, dot, dot. And we'll, we'll fill in all of that for you. So I was, I became, but God, now I can. I was created by God. Genesis 1 and 2 says this about the first man and then woman. Made in his image, after his likeness, In Sunday school this morning, we talked about traffic a little bit, driving in traffic. Do you ever get in traffic and someone does something that frustrates you and you say, I'm thankful that they were made in the image of God? Me neither. That's not my first instinct. God, help that be my first instinct. That person was made in the image of God. 
We are given a job, dominion over fish, birds, livestock, all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We, gave it, we were given a job. Uh, I was, and, and, told it was, and behold, it was very good, God said, when he created Adam and Eve. He didn't just say, well, hope that works out. He said it was very good. When he created us, it was very good. Adam was put in the Garden of Eden. He was given a job. Sometimes we get confused and we think work is a, a result of the fall. Work was given to us before the fall of man. He was assigned to work. Um, he was told, go ahead and eat from all the trees. There's bountiful trees. Eat from all of them. Just not one. Just not one. And he also said it's not good that man was alone. And so he created woman, which is pronounced, whoa, man. <laughs> I'm sure that's because that's what Adam said. Whoa, man. <laughs> all these animals, and now you gave me her. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. So then what happened? You know what happened. Adam, Eve, the rest of the human race became separated from God through sin. So that's number two. I was created by God. Number two, I am, or not I am, but I became hopelessly lost. I'm so thankful we were created by God. I'm so distraught that we became hopelessly lost. Bible called man and this is right out of Scripture, rebellious, enslaved to sin, thrown out of the Garden of Eden, distant from God, pain in childbearing, the ground is now cursed, in pain man shall eat, now facing thorns and thistles, and by our sweat we shall eat. I think the implication is that life got harder at the point of the fall. We were going to work either way. He was naming animals, he was tending the garden, he had work to do. But it got harder. Our work got harder. We will survive and live through working hard. Much harder than God's original plan. So I was created by God. I became hopelessly lost. Number three, but God. Sometimes do a search in the Bible for the words but God. There's so many beautiful things that happen in the Bible where the words but God are shown. In this case, but God rescued me rescued you you know what i am profoundly loved we are beloved we are adopted i i think do you know how special you are in god's eyes i think we forget if he had a refrigerator your picture would be on it look look here's here's my beloved if, you, if God carried a wallet around, your picture would be in the wallet. We forget that. We self-accuse. We shame. Oh, I'm so distant from I'm not where I should be. I did this thing. God loves you profoundly. I just want to remind you of that this morning. He's not mad at you. He's not thumping you. He loves you. I often forget my identity, and I find myself trying to fit in with the world. Here's what the Bible says about me, about you. Once we have that new identity in Christ, it says you are his own special possession. I want to read 1 Peter 2.9 to you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are God's special possession. Do you believe that? Second, you are chosen, hand-picked by the creator of the universe. Ephesians 1, 3-4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You're a special possession. You're chosen, handpicked. You are treasured. This goes back to the Old Testament, speaking when he spoke of his people. Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. <coughs> Excuse me. That we should be holy and blameless before. Whoops, I skipped. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you are treasured. I don't always wake up in the morning feeling special possession. I don't always look, wake up in the morning feeling chosen and handpicked. I get up, I get, wander my way to the mirror, and I look in there, and I don't always think I'm treasured. I just want to remind you, you are those things. That is how God views you today. You are loved beyond compare. 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You know what else about you? You are worth dying for. Romans 5, 7 and 9 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Let me just comment on that. I have two sons. I can't imagine giving my sons for a sinner. I can't wrap my mind around giving Wes and Ben for a sinner. Easy question. No. And that's what God did. He gave his son for a sinner like you and like me. And in doing that, he knew we were a sinner. And here's what I do. I don't know if this is what you do. I know that I was a sinner saved by grace. But then I go do something stupid or impulsive. Ultimately, it's sinful. And I start self-accusing myself. And sometimes I say, I'm going to have to be good now for a number of hours or a number of days before I can kind of go back into God's presence. I'm going to have to kind of clean up my act and maybe be in the Word more and pray. And I'm just going to work on cleaning up my act because I feel so bad about that disgusting, stupid, sinful, hateful, whatever it was thing I did. And God says, Dan, I died for you while you were a sinner. I'm not surprised you still struggle with sin. Run into my arms. Come and let me know what you did. And receive again anew the true forgiveness you have. And I just think we self-accuse. And we just, oh, I'm just not as, as good as they are. You're not. You're not. I just was, I heard Dan quoted this morning in Sunday school that I forget how you said it, but it's, it's kind of like you're worse than you think you are. You're a worse sinner than you, is that how, say how he said it. You're a worse sinner than you think you are. 
So that doesn't mean dance in that and celebrate that. That just means, oh God, I am. I am. Thank you that while I was that sinner, you saved me. And that you still love me even though I'm drifting again. Again, I'm still wrestling. So I said you're a special possession, you're chosen, handpicked, you're treasured, you're loved beyond compare, you're worth dying for. You are forgiven. Receive that. We just still have this negotiation with God that we sin again and, and we're just like, I gotta, uh, I hope he'll, I just hope God will forgive me for this. Really? Really? He will. He does. He did. I just want to remind you of that. Because our self-talk to our... You know who preaches the most to you? It's not Dan Lehman. It's not me. It's not... You preach the most to yourself. Every day, all day long, you are preaching sermons to yourself. And I want to encourage you to preach sermons that are true. Preach sermons that are filled with God's identity about yourself. You are forgiven. Doesn't fix everything. Actually, it does fix everything. But it doesn't fix the moment of pain you're in when you do it again. But you're forgiven. Rest in that. Romans 8 33 to 39 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? So, I, in my role, at Youth for Christ, sometimes I have a little target on my back from time to time. Somebody wants to say something mean to me or harm me. It's the evil one. It's not people, but it comes in the form of people sometimes. But, you know, somebody will come to me, Dan. I, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I'm like, and isn't it amazing that God uses me? I don't get all defensive. I don't get all, well, you, you, I'll take you out too if you try. Yep, I am as accused. I'm a sinner saved by grace not going to run from that not going to hide yes dan you don't deserve a role like that yep you're right i never thought i deserved it god lets us do things in his kingdom because of his grace so it just that we shouldn't be accused we are forgiven i'll keep reading who is to condemn christ jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of god who indeed is interceding for us even now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You know these verses. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, or I might add, or another sin on my behalf? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, things in the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. What a list. This kind of covers it all. And then he adds, nor anything else, <laughs> as if he missed something in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You mean my wanderings, my inadequate thoughts, my repeated sins? Nope, nope, nope. Those cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Another thought, you are his child. 
had kids, now I have grandkids. It means a lot to be a child. I don't know if you've had a child or if you've walked with a child, but if you're teaching your grandkids how to walk or your children and they take a step and then they fall, I suppose you probably do what I do. You grab by the shoulders and say, why don't you walk? <laughs> we don't do that. We help them up. We love them. They're a beloved child. They fall again. We help them up again. They fall. We help them up again. They, again. What does it mean to be a child, to be his child? It means he loves us. He helps us up again. And we think he accuses us. We think, you know, who accuses us? Pop quiz, who accuses us? Satan. Satan is the accuser. So when we do something, when we have a fear we can't conquer, when we're in despair, when we're sinning again, we're doing things we ought not, Satan is the accuser who says, there you go again, there you go again. You don't deserve this. And when Satan says to me, you don't deserve this, I'm just like, this is one thing we agree on, Satan. I don't deserve this. It's called grace. We are his child. Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are sons of God through your faith. You're secure for all eternity. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Sometimes people talk about, oh, I just... I sin. I don't know if I'm saved. I'm so concerned I'm still saved. That concern is God's spirit in you convicting of sin. It's not to rattle your confidence that you are secure in him. It's to convict you of sin. The very fact you're concerned about it is a reminder that you're in him, that he loves you, that he put his spirit in you. So I just encourage you not to, don't, don't panic when you think, well, am I still saved? Am I God initiated the saving. We didn't do that. How could we undo it? He did it while we were still sinners. We received it. Now let's walk in that truth. Another verse on the topic of, um, of uh, secure. John 10, 28 and 29. Um, Jesus speaking, I, have, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. A couple more thoughts on but God, and here's another one. You are set free. We put ourselves in bondage. God didn't put us there. He got us out of bondage. We put ourselves there. You are set free. Romans 6.18 says, And having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. There's a, there's a popular worship song, No Longer a Slave to Fear. I am a child of God. Let's speak truth over ourselves. Let's speak truth to each other. You are precious to Him. Isaiah 43 tells us, Because you are precious in my eyes, God speaking of His people again then, and honored, I love you. I give men in return for you, people in ex peoples in exchange for your life. God's trying to help us understand all these truths. We are precious, we're set free, we're forgiven, we're secure. And finally, and this is one that I just love. Um, it, I don't want to get political. That's not the place in church. But whoever is in the White House at any given time is one of the hardest people in the world to get to and get FaceTime with, to go and meet with. Hey, I'm just going to call up the president and go spend a little time with him. No, you're not. No, you're not. 
In fact, a few years ago, we took our family to Washington, D.C., and we arranged a tour of the White House so we could see it. And the kids were like, we're going to get to see the president. I said, no, 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 no. Don't confuse. We're going to go to the White House with we're going to get to see the president. We are going to tour the White House. We're not going to see the president. Well, just side note, our dumb little son says, well, I'm going to start praying that we get to see the president. I'm like, oh, don't pray that. (laughs) Because I don't want to see you disappointed in God. You know, if you pray we get to see the president, then I just, you're going to get disappointed in God because you didn't answer your prayer. I could cry, but we got to see the president on that trip. My son's prayer was answered. His motorcade went by and it paused where we were and we were the only people around and he waved at us. We got to see the president. But that was a weird happenstance, answered prayer. I couldn't just call him back the next day. Hey, remember me? We waved at the corner. (laughs) You have access to something so much greater than the president. You have access to God's throne. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I may not be able to get to the president, but I can get to the king. I can get to the king. And I can't do it because the king's like, Hey, Dan Learned's here. He's a big deal. Better let him in. No, all I got is the cross of Christ. When I want access to the king, all I got is the cross of Christ. What have you done, Dan? I sinned. That's all I got. I sinned. I received the cross of Christ. And now I have access to the throne, the king of kings. How beautiful. Kind of makes the president pale in comparison. He's one of the most powerful people in our, in our world. And we can't get to him. But the most powerful person in the universe we can So just think about that. Don't miss all these truths I tried to wash over you. Consider kind of that list I gave you. Take it in. It's you. It's your identity. If you're in Christ, this is who you are. This is your permanent identity. It can't be removed, messed up, forsaken, sinned out of, taken away, or changed. This is your identity in Christ. This is who you are at school when you feel all alone sometimes. This is who you are when you get a bad grade on a big test. I actually got accustomed to those. Here we go again. Look at all that red. This is who you are when terrible news arrives about a loved one. We prayed for Shelly this morning. This is who you are. This is who she is if she's in Christ. This is who you are when life gets messy wearisome, desperate, even hopeless at times. You are God's child. He loves you. And His grace is sufficient. I often ask people in hard times, I say, I I know the Bible says grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Are you finding that to be true? And so often their answer is yes. Sometimes they say, I know that it's true. I'm trusting that it's true. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's true today. But let's work with what we know. He's told us it's sufficient. You are God's child. He loves you and His grace is sufficient. This is who you are when you've sinned so badly 
again. And it doesn't seem forgivable. Yet to God, it already has been. Do you believe in your identity in Christ? On good days, it might be easy to agree. But when life hits you hard, do you still believe it? Do you embrace it or do doubts arise? I confess I have doubts. You know, when a tornado took our home five years ago, it just rocked our, it, it just, we, we, we said all the cliche stuff about it's just stuff, it's just possessions. You know, they had to tear our house down and they didn't actually, the, the tornado didn't tear ours down, but it had to be torn down. But it just knocked us off balance for close to two years. We were still trusting Christ, but we were just, we weren't living in our identity. We were, we were off balance. When we watch, and we are right now, some dear, dear friends and family members suffer greatly with physical and emotional struggles, I confess I have doubts sometimes. When I sin again, and I wonder how someone who has been a Christian this long can be so petty, so shallow, so hateful, so selfish, so on and on and on, I forget my identity. I want to go right back to God. We talked about faith in Sunday school this morning. Faith the size of a mustard seed, right? And it's not because the faith is that big. It's because the object of our faith is that big. It's our great God who we put our little faith in. That's a good equation. My mustard seed, mustard seed type faith and a great God. That's a winning combination. Well, no matter how you feel today or who you used to be or what you're going through, and we are, your identity and your loving Father is who you are for eternity. Because Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins, my sins, when you received his sacrifice as a free gift, he, you, you instantly became his. This is who you are. So I started with, I, w I was, I became, but God. The last point is now I can. Now I can what? Now I can minister to others. We can walk into pain. Back on the tornado, one of the people who captured my heart the most after the tornado was a guy named Jeff. Jeff knew nothing about... Uh, uh, what do you call it, disaster recovery. He knew nothing about disaster recovery. And he knew you couldn't get into Washington because they had all the boundaries up and the guards. and the. So Jeff put everything he could think of we might need in a little red wagon, and he parked about a mile out of Washington, and he pulled that wagon across a field. So he could be at our house in our time of need. There he was. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to say. He didn't bring the right stuff. He probably don't remember what he brought. He walked toward a person in struggle, in pain. I, I got to see Warren Parr a few weeks ago. God put my dad in a bed next to Warren Parr at Snyder Village recently because my dad broke his femur. He's 83 years old and he needed to recover. And I look in the room and there's Warren Parr. My first thought was, boy, he looks in bad condition. I don't know if I should talk to him. What should I do? I just went right up to him, and I just held his hand, and I looked at his eyes. And he remembered me. Still a panther. 
<laughs> yes, Warren. We talked about Warren in Sunday school this morning too. None of you has what it takes to go visit Warren Parr. Correction. All of you have what it takes to go visit Warren Parr. You have the love of Christ in you. We have what it takes to walk into our neighbor's crisis where the cops show up every six months, it feels like, for whatever the reason. I don't want to go there. I'm praying, Lord, take them away. Lord, put them near some Christian. Oh, you already did, didn't you? So I don't know what to say to him, but I'm trying. I'm leaning in. We're talking. But we feel so inadequate to walk toward pain. We don't know what to say in receiving lines at funerals. We don't know what note to write someone who just got a diagnosis. I want to charge you with try. Just mess it up. They're going to care far less about what you said during your visit or whether you made apple pie and they're allergic to it or whatever, whatever else. The fact that we move toward hurting people. We can now. We carry around this, this treasure in this earthen vessel. So I just want to charge you with those three things I told you first. Now I can minister to others. I just I charge you with, you're, you're not a manufacturer of God's grace. You don't have to figure out how can I muster God's grace. You're a distributor of God's grace. It's in you. Now we leak. We're called earthen vessels, jars of gray, crack, cracked pots, but what we carry around is the very spirit of Christ Jesus. He's in us. He'll help us. So Warren Wiersbe wrote a book called On Being a Servant of God. In it, he said, for 31 chapters in a row, he said the same thing. Finally got to me at about the 26th chapter. He said, ministry takes place when divine resources, that's God, Meet human needs, and they are many, through loving channels. That's me, a loving channel, just a gutter. I'm just a gutter carrying this divine resources through me to meet desperate human needs. Well, what do you offer, Dan? Nothing. I'm just like a gutter, big old gutter that lets water run through it. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels. Why? To the glory of God. So let's just be those channels today. Let's receive and carry, not try to manufacture. So I just want to encourage you as we close, write that note. There she is. That's perfect. Not too quiet. She's awesome. It's, that's probably a signal. Write that note. Go see that neighbor. Say hi to that kid at school who acts like they want to be left alone. Lean down to someone in a wheelchair. Hold the hand of an elderly person. Yes, it's risky. Yes, we feel inadequate. But God has loved us well. He's put His Spirit in us. He has equipped us. I want to close by reading Hebrews 10, and then I'll be, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be done. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. These are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places 
by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, what should we do? Well, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance, full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Last two, three verses have some power in them. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what I'm trying to do this morning. Not neglecting to meet together like we're all doing, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me pray. God, I pray that these words will take root in my heart and that I will trust my identity that you've said it is and that I will be found faithful, enjoying you and ministering to others. Thank you for these dear people this morning. We honor you, we love you, we worship you. We thank you for saving us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.